Hello Masters in the Making, I'm your host, Mike Miller, and I want to welcome you to Simple Self Mastery. Simple Self Mastery is a self-help podcast dedicated to giving you the best in health, wealth, love, happiness, and a little peace of mind five days a week. I'm excited and honored to welcome our guest today, Hilary Jacobs Hendel. Hilary Jacobs Hendel, LCSW, is author of the book, It's Not Always Depression, working on the change triangle to listen to the body, discover core emotions, and connect to your authentic self. She received her BA in biochemistry from Wesleyan University and an MSW from Fordham University. She's a certified psychoanalyst and AEDP psychotherapist and supervisor. She has published many articles and consulted on the psychological development of characters on AMC's Mad Men. Hillary, I've given our listeners a peek at who you are, but is there anything you want to add to spice up that intro? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, no. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you caught me off guard with that question. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, my intent in talking to you and, and being listened to by your audience is really to share an, an education in emotions because it's become – it was originally a pet peeve. In my training, I had the opportunity to learn things that I had never been exposed to and I had an extensive education in, in the biological sciences and psychology, and I never learned this in any of my formal training. So when, you know, what I'm going to share with a little bit with your audience today and what I write about um, in the book is to share an education in what we all need to know about our emotions, because emotions are responsible for much of the things that we think about and much of our behaviors, particularly destructive behaviors. And um, if you're talking about trying to meet goals and to live the kind of life that you want, to understand some simple things about emotions is critical. So to add to my bio, I, I would just say that I have, I've become passionate about sharing emotion education and really feel increasingly outraged that you would not get this in high school, for example, in, in Montclair. And uh, because it is just a few simple things are very, very helpful in making people feel better about themselves and more in control. Um, and I've come to think of it kind of as a public health outrage that we don't learn this. So that's that's my mission and my passion, along with loving my psychotherapy practice. So we can talk about both things as, awesome. you, as you wish. Yeah. 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 And I love that you mentioned that you know, we really should be learning these things in school. I, you know, I find so often a after having graduated, I'm learning so many different things that I wish I had actually been taught earlier earlier on. But um, so I'm so glad that we're able to kind of dive into that. So, you know, when we work with our emotions and we kind of get involved with all that nitty gritty of that, where do we start? Like, how do we begin that process? Well, let me just just say that I totally agree with you. If I had learned in high school what I learned, uh, unfortunately, at the age of forty, it would have saved me, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes. Uh, even though I kind of all my mistakes sort of made lemonade from, but I totally agree with you. So I think the main thing, you know, if there's one thing that I want to leave people with, is that there's a there's a myth that has pervaded society for as you know as long as as I think people have been thinking, and that is that emotions are under conscious control, and therefore we have the ability to control our emotions. And if we can't control our emotions, that says something bad about us, that we are weak um, in some way. And so if I leave your listeners with one tidbit, it's to know that emotions are not under conscious control. 
they are they're they are like you could think of them as biological programs that are wired in from the from the moment we're born and they can't be under conscious control because of the way the brain is organized they're there to keep us safe their survival emotions the core emotions are what i'm talking about sadness fear anger disgust joy excitement and sexual excitement these things just happen to us and it's only after that they happen that we can use them either for good or for bad and and that's what um i teach people is one that emotions just are so don't feel bad about them don't feel that you're weak don't feel that there's something wrong with you but there's a whole lot we can learn and practice throughout our lives to tame and work with the emotional reactions that we have so that we that we behave and think in line with our goals for life on how, in, in relationships personally and professionally wow that's awesome i mean cuz i always it, had thought that we could control them like i'm sure a lot of people you come in contact with think um but to know that these are kind of these primitive emotions that are helping our survival that's where i'm kind of getting from yes exactly what you're saying awesome uh, so, yeah yeah go ahead i'm sorry go ahead. it's really huge like you said you, you i think i don't know anyone that that uh except perhaps scientists in the field that think differently that uh, it's pretty much a a, 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 a ubiquitous myth in our culture, and it does so much damage. I think it's responsible for so much of the stigma associated with uh, psychological distress, and um, uh, and the the other important thing to I guess that I just want to get out on the on the front so that in case we miss it, is that symptoms like anxiety, depression, insecurities, those are symptoms of emotions that have been blocked because we've we what we do in our culture because they are we're, you know we're judged for feelings is we learn how to block them we also learn how to block emotions when they become too much for us uh, or when they are not accepted to the people that we need and love in our families or our uh, churches and synagogues and our clubs peers you know, peer groups, right. so forth, that there's this other category of emotions that are called inhibitory emotions that are anxiety, guilt, and shame. And those serve to block core emotions so we get along and fit in with our groups. And um, and when we have too many emotions kind of swarming around in our body where emotions actually live, not in our head, uh, although that's another myth. Most people think emotions are in your head. They're really in your body. When they don't feel good, we develop all sorts of creative ways to avoid emotions. And those are the things that people come into psychotherapy with and, and exist in quiet desperation, feeling anxiety, depression, all the, you know, reaching for a drink is a way to avoid emotion. Just avoiding a conversation is the way to avoid being uncomfortable. There are all these things we do to avoid being uncomfortable. And we don't have to do them if we learn to de demystify emotions and then instead of leaning away from them, lean into them. And then everybody develops more self-confidence and um, a whole host of other good benefits from leaning into emotions. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that's something I've been trying to practice myself now is really acknowledging these emotions as they arise. And I know a lot of my friends, you know, speaking of this kind of myth of, 
you know, we should be ashamed of our emotions and all this sort of thing. I have a friend that just came to mind as you were saying that, who's tries to live, has this mask of masculinity, if you will. And, and God forbid he were to, to cry or show any emotion. He almost talks about it in shame. Um, so, yes. you know, he's like, and, and, and toxic masculinity and masculinity and what is masculinity and what did so many myths around masculinity. I write, uh, written quite a few articles and uh, blog posts on men because I love men. I really, I feel for what they have gone through, even misogyny and even all the destruction that uh, is largely perpetrated by men. I see them, uh, even though they, you know, it's it's up to each of us to be responsible for our behavior, 100% for sure on that. Uh, they, again, have not had any education in emotions, and therefore they are victims of a society that says, you know, it's not okay to feel anything tender, that if you have sadness or fear, you're not a man, and therefore it gets blocked with shame. That's where I was explaining that um, on this triangle that we'll talk about later, this kind of simple map and tool that I teach people to understand emotions, shame is blocking and obscuring um, the emotions that men cannot feel, and then the shame turns into aggression and all sorts of symptoms again anxiety depression suicidality like it's a huge problem and we can undo this with education wow and practice yeah and so i want to dive into that in a little bit but before we do mm-hmm. i know you mentioned we just had talked about kind of leaning into your emotions mm-hmm. and can you kind of break that down for us like what does that mean exactly yeah so you know what it means is just imagine, I don't know, you're out in daily life and, you know, somebody bumps into you uh, and causes sort of a trigger of a, an emotional trigger. Or let's say you're in your, your relationship and um, your partner says something uh, hurtful, right? And so you feel this trigger, right? All of a sudden you're kind of bumped out of your normal state and you've now been triggered into emotions. What most of us do, because we have no other skills, is we kind of go up into our head and we start having thoughts like, what an asshole, or, uh, you know, um, you know, start blaming and we start judging or we start feeling badly about ourselves or we start feeling, right, we're either judging ourselves or judging others. Um, maybe we have an impulse and we want to, you know, call, call someone names or punch somebody, all these things. What what I teach people to do is to notice those reactions, but instead of going up in our head, what we begin to do once you first have this kind of intellectual understanding of what emotions are, because once you have to first understand what's going on and sort of the prescription to feeling well before you can practice it, uh, because one of the Another myth is this idea that we can't think our way through an emotion. We have to experience emotions. So instead of going up in our head when we're feeling something, I teach people to go down below the neck and just start to allow themselves to experience the feeling and allow it to inform them so that we're, we're not blocking it, which creates stress on the mind and body and leads to all sorts of problematic health symptoms, mental health and physical health symptoms. Sure. And instead, we're going to try to practice experiencing the feeling. And what does it mean to experience a feeling? 
It means one, to know that you're having it, to be able to say, okay, that person just bumped into me or my partner just said something mean to me and I am angry, right? That's a core emotion. I, I can have enough pause between the emotion and the reaction to notice that I am angry and I can say to myself, I am having this feeling, this feeling is called anger. The other thing I need to be able to do is to feel it in my body. So it would look like this. I'm having this feeling called anger and I know that because I feel, and everybody feels feeling slightly differently in their body, but I feel an energy that's coming from my stomach that's pushing upward and outward. I feel my jaw tense. I feel kind of a fiery feeling in my chest. And the next thing that the person needs to be able to do is listen to the impulse so that this, they can sit with this experience having, happening in their body and feel the energy and say, geez, my impulse of my anger is to slug this person, right? But I'm not going to do that, but I can listen to the impulse and feel that. And then the very last step after you've listened to the feeling, experienced the feeling and, and understand that I am angry because this person bumped into me and it triggered my limbic system in the middle of my brain to want to protect myself and that's what's going on. But the very last step is now to think through the best course of action. And many times it will be doing nothing but just honoring that uh, somebody bumped into you and it's caused you to come out of a calm state and it's upsetting and you might give yourself some compassion and validate the emotion and then take some deep breaths, walk around the block, say, geez, that sucked. Um, or you might take all that angry energy and kind of imagine putting it in your backbone and say to somebody, you know, please watch where you're going. That hurt. Or you might say to your partner, you know, you really hurt my feelings. I didn't like that you said that, and I don't want you speaking to me that way again. And the idea is to communicate effectively so that you can be heard and create change because anger is meant to be a catalyst for change. It's productive. It can be used constructively. So right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I want to yeah. just thank you for sharing that. That's Just listening to that, that's such a, a very practical way we can – take our emotions and transmute them into, like you just said, productivity and use them for, for good rather than just kind of letting them go and seeing what happens. Um, so that, that's awesome. And, you know, and so, you know, that's an awesome way to, to kind of cultivate change because I know, and, and now when we get those triggers, because I, I realize I'm sure we all have different kinds of emotional triggers, mm -hmm. certain things make other like for example i had another the other day someone really angered me and i was and i looked at it and i was like why did that anger me like what messages did that have to offer and so is there something um you know because because we each have these triggers is that some that does that mean something does that really is there any way we can kind of investigate that and work on that issue itself yes that's an excellent question um Mike, so emotions, the core emotions, the seven core emotions I named, anger, sadness, fear, disgust, joy, excitement, sexual excitement, those are universal. All people have them across genders, race, culture, society, right? Totally universal. Sure. Triggers are unique to all of us, and they come from um, our experiences. So... And, and then there's some universal triggers, right? Anytime our life is threatened, we're going to be fearful, we're going to be angry. Um, so there's some basic, but the, the specific triggers that happen, like why 
you know, in relationships is a good way. Why some people can um, can take criticism, let's say, and it doesn't trigger them, and other people are are triggered into rage or shame, is uh, a product of uh, childhood and and um, and teen and early adult experiences and the traumas and adversity that we experienced. So um, it's very important to get to know your triggers and. You get to know your triggers by being aware of your emotional reactions and getting curious. So a while ago when I just described, you know, what to do with an emotion, if you're triggered, let's say if someone bumps into you, we always want to, when we go into our body and we start to work with emotions, we always want to approach ourselves with a stance of curiosity and compassion. It's an absolute prerequisite. And sometimes that takes work for people to do. They, they have a hard time being compassionate and curious, especially when they're triggered. So, it's, so I, I put a lot of exercises in the book on how you can cultivate those, those things. It's really trying to hang on to your sense of self, uh, this kind of core authentic self, as you create some space and pause to look at your reactions. And that's why meditation is a, is a great help for people. And this triangle that I teach is kind of meditation with a map because I never quite understood when I meditated what to do with the feelings I found. And that's why I, I, like, I, I like having something to do and something to actively work on. Sure. Um, and so yeah. let's let's dive into that a little bit more. I know you mentioned that earlier as well. What is this mm-hmm. change triangle that you, you work with? Yeah, so again, it's a map that I adapted from the academic literature. I didn't invent anything new, but um, I, when I saw it first, uh, it was at a, a conference on emotions that I just ended up in by on the recommendation of a friend of mine. So I really think of it as like by dumb luck that um, this friend of mine said, you should check out this woman, Diana Fosha, who has since become somebody um, that would be a mentor who I, I, I studied her method, uh, which is called AEDP, the type of psychotherapy that I practice. But when they put this triangle on the slide presentation at this big conference uh, at the Postgraduate Center in New York, I immediately became organized in a way that I had never experienced. It was it, it transformed really my life and my sense of self and ultimately transformed my professional life. And um, I always thought from the moment I saw it that this would be something everybody should learn, that this is a very, very useful tool. And then many years later, after practicing this type of therapy, I started writing and um, then I had an opportunity to write a book. I can tell you that story if you're interested. Again, felt feels very lucky. But when the when the publisher asked me what I wanted to write about, my agent, I said, "Well, there was this triangle that I thought everybody should know about, and it's uh, basically a triangle that maps out the relationship on the three corners between core emotions. Uh, if you imagine an upside down triangle." superimposed on your body and the point of the triangle is kind of in your core that's at the bottom of the triangle are these things called core emotions which it's in the body that's why the point of the triangle is in your core and on the top of the triangle on the two corners are the inhibitory emotions which are anxiety uh, guilt and shame and on the other corner are defenses 
So this triangle, which we rotate around many times a day, we can identify ourselves on any one of the three corners um, throughout the day, show us the relationship between the way we block and defend against emotions, our defenses, which most of us live at the top of the triangle between oscillating between defenses and anxiety, guilt, and shame, and these core emotions. And we can move we move up the triangle when we're born. We're born pretty much in this state of having full access to our core emotions. I don't know if you've ever been around a, a baby or an, you know, an infant. They do not block their emotions. <laughs> if they're angry, you know it. If right. they're sad, you know it. Right? If they're scared, you know it. But through socialization, um, appropriately, we start to, to adjust so that we get civilized. So, for example, shame in small amounts is not a bad thing. It teaches us various things to have a, a society where we work together. So if we hurt somebody, um, we would feel shame, right? If we pee in public and, and do things that aren't sanitary for, the, for our groups, we feel shame about it. So shame makes us not be completely selfish, it's, it makes us work in groups. But when we have a we have a society now where there are so many shoulds on how you should be, just think of what's happening in the LGBTQ um, community, right. where where it's you are shamed for not being, uh, you know, if you're different in any way, and that's toxic shame. And so when we have too many inhibitory emotions and we develop too many defenses, then we're very disconnected from our authentic self. And the triangle teaches people how to move from this, the top, the defensive and anxious and shamed states back to get in touch with core emotions, which are the doorway to this fourth state, which is located underneath the triangle, which is what I call the open-hearted state of the authentic self. And that's where we are our feel our best. Uh, we're calm, we're curious in ourselves and the world around us. We have the capacity for compassion. We feel connected. And that's where we all want to spend much more time. And for the people out there who are science oriented, like I am, what this correlates to this open hearted state of the authentic self is really when our biology is when we are regulated, we it's the the state of uh, homeostasis in the in the mind and the body. So it correlates to a a uh, a kind of regulated nervous system. And as we have more and more trauma and adversity, and we block more and more of our emotions because they're too unbearable or too unaccepted, we become hyper aroused chronically, and that's really the equivalent of stress. Ah, I see. Very cool. That that was a lot. Does that? Yeah, that absolutely. Understandable. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I just want to say, uh, midway for people who nodded out, that the book is written without any jargon, with stories. I wrote it to be a simple, simple, uh, kind of like a beach read, but with a lot of depth because we're talking about deep things, and uh, it'll all be very easy to understand in that in in the book and in the blogs and on my website. So I just want to. Um, say that I really wanted everything that I put out there to be accessible. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, just the way you explained it was very easy to uh, to kind of receive and understand. And so uh, I encourage all of our masters in the mm -hmm. making to check out mm -hmm. your book and your blog mm -hmm. to really get a, a deeper uh, insight into that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Hillary, I want to I just switch gears a little bit here because yeah. something I was so curious about when I read your bio and, uh, and some of the work that you do is, 
I know you did. You consulted some psychological development on Mad Men, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of that show. So mm-hmm. I, I, I had to ask. And I know there's there were so many complex kind of characters, and they had all these different psychological ailments and, and changes and developments. How was mm-hmm. that process like? What was that? Like. That was really fun and such a thrill. That came to be because of the connection through um, my college. Matt Weiner, who was the creator of the show, went to Wesleyan, and he's two years younger than I am. But he, my sister also went to Wesleyan, and so they became friends. And then uh, he's from L.A., but when he was coming to um, – when he was working on The Sopranos, this is Matt Weiner, he was in, in New York, and um, he invited my sister and I uh, – and our um, partners to to come over and watch the pilot of Mad Men before it was ever on, wow. and uh, they hadn't yet, I think, found a home network for it. Uh, it was like ten years to get it made, and um, it, so we he I had become a uh, an emotion centered trauma therapist at that time, and uh, we just started talking about the characters. And uh, he would call me from time to time to discuss things, and then he um, then he hired me officially to do the the consulting. And they would just call as needed from the writers' room. Uh, we did it remotely when he would have questions. Um, mostly, I I was there to make sure that the theme the the scenes that had therapy in them were authentic and true to the historical period, and the dialogue was true that the therapists were saying things that were in line with what they would have said back in the 1960s. 60s. Uh, and then, but we did discuss the um, Don Draper's character and Peggy and um, uh, and Betty uh, sure. and various other characters and how they would kind of tracing back what why you would have certain symptoms, uh, what type of early childhood traumas would lead to certain symptoms, and how people would be um, because we're also similar as humans even though that our different circumstances uh, kind of wire us to be unique. Sure. Yeah, you know, I love that show. I guess before, and I love that, um, that and, I, and you know, something you mentioned just right there was the kind of symptoms that were prevalent in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm sure there's a big kind of gap from what it was like then to what it's like now in the psychotherapy world um, and the psychology kind of realm. And so, you know, just outside, like just thinking about it, is there any – are there any symptoms you see more prevalent now than you did than back then in the sixties, just based on your research and your work? Oh well, I mean, I think the probably. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, that's sort of hard to say because, uh, you know, where my mind goes for like extreme differences, where that where the question can be much more obvious is the idea of like hysteria. That was in Freud's days, so women were diagnosed with hysteria, right? which is like, what is that? Like, uh, it's a lot of feelings and it manifested that way. Um, now nobody gets diagnosed with hysteria. It's, uh, it's obsolete, uh, in the same way they used to think being gay was, uh, was a mental illness. And we know now that it is absolutely no way, shape or form a mental illness. So, um, I I don't know. I mean, back in the 60s, you know, I'm sure there were eating disorders, but you weren't hearing about it. Uh, it wasn't really until the uh, the 80s and the 90s and now that they were sort of picking up and, and as I guess as the culture changed with uh, with women and sexuality and 
you know, how women were supposed to be. Anytime you tell people how they are supposed to be, you are going to see symptoms develop in a society. Mm. Because when we have to block out large aspects of who we are, we don't feel good. It, it's it's and it makes sense, right? We are we are meant to be who we are meant to be and to flourish and be valued as such and validated as such. And when we are not it causes symptoms of uh, anxiety and shame-based depressions, which mm. is different than by, that's another myth, you know, just to, for your viewers out there, depression and anxiety are the beginning of a story, not the end of a story. And all too often, um, back in the, you know, in the 60s, it's, it's getting a little bit better, but really uh, not so much, where you were just pathologized. You know, you had a symptom and you were mentally ill and that was the end of the story. And oftentimes you were shut away in asylums, which they uh, have since gotten rid of. Right. And now we know that, yes, there's a biochemical and a genetic factor to everything, but there is also a situational and an environmental factor. And you can heal and recover by getting in touch with core emotions and uh, letting them process through so that you spend, again, so that you regulate the nervous system to spend more and more time in that authentic self. That's what heals. Awesome. I love that you mentioned that. it was It's the beginning of something, not the end of something. Mm -hmm. It's such an empowering message. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Hillary, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. We're approaching the home plate. Are you ready for what I like to call the moment of mastery where you can share tips, resources, and insights directly to our listeners? Yeah, I will try my best. All right, let's do it. What is so? What is one daily habit that contributes to your personal success? Well, my I have to say that I work the change triangle almost every day, and what that means, how that contributes to my personal success, is that when I have when I'm triggered into feeling into a different state, a mood state, or an emotion. I just, I don't go with it and, you know, it generates as, as everyone can relate to when we have emotions, it generates all sorts of thoughts and those thoughts are generally not useful. We really can't believe our thoughts, which is kind of a big concept. So, you know, let's just take an example again. If my uh, husband is in a bad mood and kind of brings it home and isn't so pleasant to be with, then I might, again, be triggered into, oh, this really sucks, and I wanted to have fun, and oh, he's such a jerk, and all the memories of when he's done this before start to come up. And if I don't catch myself, I might then pick a fight, and then we just might escalate, and it might go down the wrong, you know, the wrong way. When now, as sort of doing this for 15 years and, and working this change triangle, I will just notice what's happening and start to work. Okay, what's, what's this bringing up in me? Why is it bringing this up? What feelings is, uh, um, are my experiencing? And how can I use those feelings? How can I listen to them? And how can I express them in a way that it's, it's constructive, so that we don't have to do a familiar dance down a destructive road, I can sort of change it around. So by by knowing where I am on the change triangle, by identifying my core emotions, by reflecting on them and working with them and not going with the thoughts that's happening that are happening in my head, I can change a situation both in work and my personal life rather quickly to be constructive. I don't take the bait anymore with anybody. 
So if somebody riles me up, I'm not going down that road. But it takes practice. It's a lifelong practice. And for people that have had a lot of trauma and adversity, it's much harder. And, um, and some people, it's, it's, they get it quite quickly. So you have to, again, be kind to yourself. So I would say applying the change triangle is uh, – that's why I got so passionate about it because it helped me personally so much. Awesome. The change triangle. I want to check that out. And we're going to definitely put a link to your book in the show notes page today's episode. And what is one simple action our listeners can take right now wherever they are to jumpstart their own success in working with their emotions? Yeah, what I would say is just start to to read as much as you can about emotions. Um, I put a lot of stuff on my website that's free. The only thing that I don't have that's free is the book, although the book is in the library. So I don't want people to think um, my my I make my living in my private practice, and really the sharing of emotion education is just my it's hopefully my contribution to the world to leave the world a better place than I found it. So what you can go to, um, you can Google the change triangle or hillaryjacobshendel.com. And I have a blog and I would love for you to anyone who's interested to sign up and I, I just send out a, a new article once a month that's related to emotions and trauma and the way people connect and authenticity. And um, there's a there's some grounding and breathing. I think if there's one thing you can do right now, it's to begin a practice where you learn how to breathe. There's something called deep belly breathing, which is a really good skill. When Years ago when I was young and someone told me to breathe, I wanted to punch them in the face. I had no idea and uh, and the same thing with grounding, which is when I say grounding, it's really just coming out of your head for a minute and just sensing your feet on the floor. It's These two things are so simple, but they are so profoundly helpful. And it took me so long to really understand why. But breathing helps you calm emotions down by stimulating the vagus nerve in the body so it's real. And again, you know, my science background has helped me understand all these things. But learning to breathe, and I have instructions on my website, and learning what grounding does is it helps you hold on to yourself in the midst of emotional storms. And those two things working together are the first goal of mastering emotional reactions, basically. Awesome. That's, yeah. that, that's really awesome. And you know, I want to thank you, Hillary, for sharing that. We're going to put some links out there. Masters in the making. Go check out simpleselfmastery.com. Type in Hillary's name in the search. It'll shoot you over to the show notes page of today's podcast for links, resources, timestamps, and an overview of what Hillary and I discussed today. Hillary, I want to thank you again for sharing your journey with all of us here at Simple Self Mastery. You mastered the mic and shared a ton of value. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been great to be here. If you enjoyed today's episode of Simple Self Mastery, please show your support by subscribing, leave a five-star rating, and a review. It is my honor and privilege to provide you with high-value, free content five days a week, and I'd be humbled by your support. Keep learning, keep listening, and keep working towards your own personal self-mastery. Thanks, and we'll catch you later.